Hi there and welcome back to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk all things transportation. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And today on the show, I'm going to be speaking with a guy, his name is Rob Toffness. And Rob is the founder of the Denver Bicycle Lobby. He's also the creator of a website called nosquish.com where he promotes bike riding and tries to educate people to be careful around bike riders and people in the street and to watch for pedestrians. The reason I invited Rob to be here on today's program is because in the last episode of the show, I was talking about how cities are making it more difficult to drive in their downtown areas because their ultimate goal if they could just wave a magic wand, is to reduce to minuscule levels, or or even better, eliminate altogether cars in a downtown urban area. It's it's not a secret. Mayor de Blasio in New York City, in Manhattan, has indicated that. Uh, Other city leaders in other towns have indicated that. Our city leaders here in Denver have expressly said that. City planners and council members don't always come out and say it often. They're not just out there on a a soapbox with a megaphone yelling uh, out there that they want to eliminate all cars, but that is basically their ultimate goal. And I have said it often that that that's what they want to do, that, that that's their wish. Well, anyway, Rob heard the show. And disagreed with me vehemently on just about everything I said. And he described all of his feelings of disappointment in what I said, disgust in what I said. And he did it in a long Twitter post on his Twitter page. Uh, He's at no squish. And he said that I didn't interview anyone, including advocates or authors of this Denver Complete Streets Guidelines as part of what I was talking about in in the last episode, or city residents or drivers. And I I have talked to people regarding this topic off the air, but but Rob was exactly right. I, I didn't have anyone talking about those issues on that episode. So I contacted Rob and invited him to be here on the show so we can get his perspective on some of these topics that I mentioned on the last episode. Now, Rob agreed, and we had, I think, what was a pleasant conversation. I thought it was a good conversation, and we'll have uh, his interview coming up in just a few minutes. But I want to first start with this story, because I thought you might enjoy it. When you, when you go on a test drive, usually when you go on a test drive, you're on your best behavior, right? There, there, there was a woman in Norwich, Connecticut who went out for a test drive at a 2013 Audi S5. And unfortunately, she crashed the car because she wanted to test the capabilities of the car that she was test driving. She was speeding way past 100 miles an hour on I-395, and she was reported to local police for reckless driving. The 30-year-old woman admitted to troopers that she was driving too fast while test driving the car, She did suffer a minor injury and was summoned to court for reckless driving and failing to maintain a lane. That's usually what they charge you with when you you crash your car. About half of the time I've taken test drives, it's been with a salesperson uh, sitting right next to me or in the back seat. Sometimes they encourage you to uh, open it up a bit to find out what it can do. I I think that's just a sales tactic that they use. Actually, one sales tactic that that reminds me. I, I was looking, my, my wife and I were looking for a, a new car and we were at over at a uh, infinity dealership and, uh, or it was a Nissan infinity. And we were looking at this one, uh, I don't know, crossover thing. And the guy, I said, well, you know, it, it looks neat and, and, and all. And, and we took a test drive and it was fine. And he goes, Hey, why don't you just take it home for the night? And I said, no, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. And he goes, no, 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 really take it home. And you could just let it sit in your garage, see how it looks in your garage. I'm sure that's another tactic for them to use to, to make you feel comfortable with the car. And then you're more likely to buy it. And then he, I said, no, thank you. And, and he then thro- throws me the set of car keys 
thinking that I'm going to grab the keys and then th that is going to be the, the trigger to make me want to then take the car home. I let the keys fall on the ground. I just watched them fall. I could have caught them, but I just let them fall. And then I picked it up and I handed it back to the guy. I said, no, I'm not taking the car home. And he finally uh, took that for an answer. Um, but let's say you do get into a wreck when you are test driving a car. What happens? Who pays for it? Well, each state has a different law, apparently, that determines responsibility. It comes down to your state and the laws in that state, whether the customer's insurance coverage is considered the primary or the dealership's coverage is considered primary. And it really is different across the country. And I've read that normally a wreck is covered by the company that is handling inventory for the dealership. See, a dealership, they, they don't insure every individual car. That would be an insurance nightmare. They insure all the cars as a whole business. So all the cars fall under a blanket umbrella policy, which makes it a lot easier because their, their inventory is always changing. It's changing daily. They're getting cars, selling cars, and it, it, the fleet is always changing. So that's why they do it as an umbrella coverage instead of just individually covering each car. So how much do you think a dealer pays for coverage on all of its cars? It, it varies a lot depending on the size of the dealership and whether it's a small business or part of a dealer network like AutoNation. It's estimated that a single point dealership, let's say in an average size town, they might spend between $40,000 and $60,000 a year for that coverage. A multi-location dealership could spend anywhere from $100,000 up to a million dollars, depending on their inventory, for their insurance coverage. And that coverage protects basically all of their inventory. So it's not just for test drives. It's for a hailstorm or for a fire that we've seen in recent months. So chances are, if you wreck a car at a test drive, the car dealership and its insurance company probably has it covered. By the way, most test drives with a salesperson are thought out in advance, and usually they have a little test area that they like to drive in, and it's mostly, if you ever do a test drive, just think about it, just watch as you're going on the test drive, it's usually all right turns, because it minimizes the risk of a broadside crash making a left. So there you go. The more you know, right? Well, cities all over the country, including right here in Denver, are becoming more bike-friendly. Folks who are promoting the move to make cities more bike-friendly say the benefit is that you may be able to replace some trips or travel differently or not be tied down to a car in the first place. However, it also makes driving in these cities longer and more challenging for those who do choose to drive. Joining me to talk about these issues is Rob Toffness. Rob is a software developer by trade, founding member of the Denver Bicycle Lobby, and creator of the website called NoSquish.com. Rob, thanks again for being here on the Driving Your Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Rob, before we get into the infrastructure and bike equality, let's find out a little bit more about Rob. When did you come to Denver and describe your love for a good bowl of chili? <laughs> um, so I grew up in Colorado. I was born in Loveland, um, went to school at CSU, then eventually moved to Boulder, and then made my way down to Denver in 2013. So kind of traveled the front range. And when I did, I moved down very close to Coors Field. And at the time, it was there was a place called the Breckenridge uh, Brewery. It's now the Cherry Cricket. And they had a green chili on their menu that I took to eating uh, way too much. <laughs> and uh, then uh, they changed their name to Cherry Cricket, and they took it off the menu and put the Cherry Cricket version on. And I sort of waged a one-man campaign to get it back, and it's now back on the menu. Oh, nice. Uh, so that was kind of my – if you – if you were to search for my name, you'll probably find a story in Denver about myself and green chili. And so you're more a fan then of the green chili than you are of the red chili? Yeah, I would I would say so, but I, you can't go wrong mixing the two and doing Christmas style too. Yeah, perfect. It's always the green chili is always great on a uh, on a burrito or whatever. I think uh, Little Anita's has great green chili, and uh, so does the La Casita, uh, the La Casita ah. over there on 35th uh, near Tejon. Mm -hmm. 
So what is your overall view on street infrastructure in a downtown urban area? We're not just talking about Denver, but basically any metropolitan area. I think, um, and I, I want to make this clear to you, this is coming from a person who grew up in the county. I, you know, lived near horses and got driven everywhere, baseball practice, school, things like that. But as I got into a denser area, it became evident that we just have a geometry problem. Like, our streets aren't going to get bigger. We can't. And we're shoving more and more of these vehicles into them. And we're trying to combine these 5,000-pound vehicles with, you know, squishy pedestrians and cyclists like myself. And we're running out of room to do it in the way that most people are kind of accustomed to. I think Americans are used to driving on every inch of our country and parking just about wherever they like. And they get really irritated when they can't do both of those things. So uh, downtowns in urban contexts are becoming less and less safe for anyone that's choosing a mode of travel that isn't a car. And I think that's a problem. Does Do you think so? You, you were mentioning between the urban and suburban or rural areas do you really think there's a change in uh, maybe allowing some people to drive around in some of the urban and, and rural areas and then maybe limit some of the driving in a urban downtown congested area? So you're suggesting vehicle traffic kind of stays the same outside of a city, but is more limited within it? Is that what I'm Right. Uh, I think, well, I mean... The problem with this topic is there's so many different angles, and I think we've seen this year the effect of climate change is, is accelerating. Um, so I think driving period needs to be lowered when we can everywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're still going to have people who are hauling hay bales and, and livestock and things like that, and they're going to need work vehicles. They don't necessarily need an F-350 at a downtown apartment complex. Would you feel um, a little differently if, let's say, all vehicles were running on electric and we didn't have to worry about a climate change mm -hmm. issue? Would you still feel the same way about limiting cars uh, everywhere? Yes, because, well, one, we know that electric vehicles aren't a silver bullet. I mean, right now, the carbon cost of producing one is actually more than a normal car. Um, we don't know what we're going to do with the batteries. I mean, the, the small particles that come off the tires and the brake pads are still an issue. It doesn't matter if it's electric or not. And the other thing is, is that these vehicles are still going to be large and they're still going to be heavy and they're still going to be killing people. So a lot of people like to say, you know, electric vehicles are going to save us and a one-to-one -one conversion to EVs isn't going to do the trick. We're still going to have uh, an accelerating pedestrian and cyclist death. We're still going to have the space problem I talked about. Um, you know, the microparticles that I mentioned, all of that is still going to happen even with electric vehicles. I'm speaking with Rob Toffness. He's a founding member of the Denver Bicycle Lobby, creator of the website called nosquish.com about biking and reducing cars in uh, around the world, really. Uh, you said that, you just mentioned that uh, cars and vehicles are killing people. You said last year that over 70 people were killed on Denver's roads because of drivers. Were those deaths caused by, you think, the size or style of the vehicle or by the behavior of the driver? Do you think we should be looking at that as more of a remedy to pedestrian deaths rather than the size of the vehicle? Uh, I don't think you can disconnect the two. Um, you know, if you look at the graph of pedestrian death, it kind of, it almost looks like a V nationally. And I think it starts around like 2008. And a couple things happened then. One, that was when the iPhone started to get popular. So we do have more distraction in driving. And we also started to get larger and larger vehicles. So SUVs started to take off as kind of like the de facto car that everyone needed. And now it's become these heavy-duty trucks that are becoming luxury vehicles. So people are taking these massive vehicles to go get a gallon of milk. Um, and 
you know, when you look at the interior of some of these things, they've got these massive dashes of entertainment systems. So combine the distracted driver and, you know, very entitled behavior with an urban kink, and you have a problem. I think they're connected. I, I do think we both can agree that driver behavior is a huge problem. I, I think cell phone distraction or overall inattentiveness or intoxication are really the main reasons why people on bikes or scooters or just walking across the street in the crosswalk or out of a crosswalk, wherever, are hit and and injured or killed by a car. What what do you think the remedy is for that? Um, it's something that people aren't going to like because they've become accustomed to a certain way of operating. And there's, again, there's kind of a, an entitlement that comes with it. That I, um, but we know that as speed increases, so does the potential for death. So we know that a vehicle traveling at 40 miles per hour and it, if the driver hits someone, only one out of 10 pedestrians survive in that situation. As you have that speed to 20, nine out of 10 pedestrians are going to survive. So, I mean, one of the biggest things you need to do is lower speed. But the problem is a lot of people say, okay, we're going to put up signs, right? And, well, we know that as people are looking at their iPhones and driving, they're not paying attention to that stuff. And if the street design itself doesn't provide some sort of clue or key to them that, hey, this road is going to be a slower area for you, they're going to keep ripping 40 miles an hour down a 20 mile an hour posted street. So you do need to limit speed, but you also need to change road design to do so. No, I completely agree with that. If you want to lower speeds, people are going to drive the speed they feel comfortable driving. And when they feel comfortable, let's say on an interstate going 80 miles an hour, they'll go 80 miles an hour. And I've seen them do it as they blow by me all the time. If they feel comfortable, let's say in a downtown area or even off uh, the downtown and maybe just on some other city streets, if they feel like they can drive 40 in a 35 or a 20 or whatever, they're going to drive that way. Mm -hmm. Unless, as you, you were talking about, there are some kind of... Uh, either a bulb out or parking on both sides where that actually makes drivers, especially let's say you're driving just off of Broadway, Lincoln, you're, you're driving down, um, let's say Sherman Street, Delver over by First Avenue. If you have some cars on both sides of you that are parked there, you're going to feel uncomfortable when somebody is coming the other way and naturally you're going to slow down. But a lot of right. folks want to reduce the amount of parking. Do you want to replace that then with bulb outs and other calming devices or do you think that the parking can be an actual good device to help slow down drivers in some of these uh downtown or city neighborhoods i think um the we need more cars to save us from cars uh idea is a problem yeah i think in some areas yes there's there's areas right now on our high injury network where if you would take out the parking a 60-foot right-of-way is going to become like an 80-foot right-of-way, and it's going to be a big problem. But I don't think the solution is, hey, let's allow more space to store cars so that we can save ourselves from cars. I think some of what you mentioned, um, bulb outs, uh, chains, heat humps, um, those will, you know, basically effectively what they call a road diet will allow you to, slow kind of the visual speed of a, a road. Um, and, and yeah, it's going to take removing parking. I think and this is another one of those things that's going to, it just ticks people off. And I, I get it. But one thing that people really seem to not understand is that our streets in Denver and the cities across the nation are considered public right-of-ways. And that means that now, a lot of people assume the sidewalk is where at the public space, but so is the roadway. And as we put parking on these things, we're basically saying, hey, you get to store your private piece of property on a public piece of land. Um, and I think that's a, that's a pretty big problem because there's there's better uses for it. As, we, as we've seen, like, we've allowed some restaurants to take over parking. We've, uh, we do a parking day every year where we put parklets in it. Or, you know, we can put bike lanes in it. We can widen sidewalks. We can, we can do a lot with that space. 
than just let a single occupancy vehicle sit in it and, uh, you know, not contribute. I'm speaking with Rob Toffness. He's a founding member of the Denver Bicycle Lobby, creator of the website called nosquitch.com about bikes and pedestrians and road usage for uh, cars, people, and bikes. Do you think there's room on a road for all three or more modes of transportation for a car and a bike and a person and a scooter or, or, or and a bus all at the same time? Or should it be limited to just one or a few of those? Well, I know there's space. Um, you really, it's just the way we use it. And roads aren't, um, they aren't set in stone. We can, we can make changes. And, then, and I've seen that space usage. Um, you know, it's here in Denver and other places, but absolutely you can make space for those three modes. And sometimes they can even share the same space. I mean, earlier we talked about lowering speed limits. I mean, if you do, I think the Dutch call them vermouths. We're calling them uh, shared streets or, you know, some of our bikeways are the same way where the bikes are in the lane and sharing with cars. But the, the key there is that the speed of that corridor is 20 miles an hour or less. And once you do that, the reason why we're, you know, asking to separate all these modes is that we're allowing large vehicles to go 40 miles an hour through downtown. Um, so yeah, you need to then protect the more vulnerable users. But if you were to limit that speed, you can actually start to mix everyone. And if you look at old pictures of Denver, I mean, our Broadway, you you see horse carts and you see pedestrians, you can see old Model Ts and street cars all sharing the same space. So absolutely, I think we have the space. We just need to use it appropriately. Do you think enforcement could help out with some of this? Keep the drivers who are breaking the law, who are not paying attention, who are speeding, who are turning on red when they shouldn't be turning on red, who aren't watching out for other people. Do you think enforcement needs to be increased to maybe help calm this down as well? Um, I think if we were talking about enforcement and if you, if you added the word automated enforcement, then yes, I think that can help. But I think also if you look into the history of some of this stuff, the more we add enforcement, the more it gets used just in marginalized communities. And I, I just don't think, I think it's also like shoveling water. Like you can't have an officer at, at the worst intersection 24 hours a day and you wouldn't want to. And, and so it, was, it would just be kind of like nibbling at the edges. So things like automated enforcement absolutely can have an effect. Um, they've seen that in New York where they have automated speed cameras and it really has reduced the dangerous driving. But I think more than anything, street design will have the biggest effect. And, you know, originally Vision Zero, one of its tenants was enforcement, and they're starting to reconsider that because they've seen, you know, very, very recent, obviously, that enforcement is not used uh, equitably or equally. So that one, I think, is, is a tough one like you know whenever i see a driver bust through a red light i'd love to see them get caught i just don't know that we have that's the the best way to use our resources do you eventually see a downtown denver downtown nashville downtown oklahoma city anywhere that there's a downtown area new york city manhattan do you eventually imagine those areas getting rid of or at least limiting how many vehicles can come into the urban core and really only being used for bicyclists and pedestrians and scooters? Is that is that a world you'd like to see where it's only thousands of people riding bikes all through urban areas? I can tell you that I have seen it. Um, not here, obviously, but it is, um, as an example, Oslo has taken the steps to start limit uh cars in their downtown area. And, and a lot of times people hear the word ban cars and they, again, their head explodes and they lose it. But like all catchphrases, there's, you know, it can be expanded and there's a lot more behind it. I think ban cars means, yeah, you're still going to have delivery vehicles. You're still going to have certain folks who absolutely have to have a car to get around using a vehicle in the city center. But do I think city centers should limit 
vehicle traffic in their, their downtown core? Yeah, absolutely. And this is coming from a person who owns a vehicle. I mean, this would affect me. Um, and I live downtown. But most of what I do downtown can be done with my own two feet or on a bike or a scooter or public transit. Um, and we're running into, like I said, that geometry problem downtown. And, and once you start to allow more modes of travel, at the very beginning of this, you, you mentioned that you know, as you make space for others, it makes it harder for drivers. And I think that's a bit of a common misconception. Now, yeah, you're going to, as you make it more equal and equitable, one group is going to perceive it as harder for them. But let, let's say we make it easier for a lot more cyclists to come out. That's a lot more vehicles out of the driver's way. And they've actually found that as you do that, it, it can actually lessen that congestion that people worry about. There's a lot of fallacies about what well, you put in a bike lane, and it's going to make congestion. And that's not necessarily the case because our roads are networks, and they're built to kind of ebb and flow and take, you know, different volumes. I'm speaking with Rob Toffness. He is the creator of the website called NoSquish.com, founding member of the Denver Bicycle Lobby. You just mentioned a network of bikes. Uh, I have thought that it would always be a good idea to let cars drive on certain roads. Let's say Broadway is a good example where you just have it as a, a river, basically, that comes out of the downtown area, goes right to an interstate. Spear is another good one, taking you over to the interstate. And then create other smaller roads or separate bike areas like a bike highway. The Cherry Creek Bike Path is a great example of that, where it is its own bike highway, if you will, where it is completely separated from any vehicles. Would you be in favor of of making these like bike highways on roads that are less highly traveled by cars or continue to squish um, cars and bikes and pedestrians and bus lanes all together in the same area? Well, I, I, I don't think we have to squish anything in the same area because Denver's grid is, our, our streets are massive. I mean, when you look at an aerial image, our right-of-ways are generally, I mean, 40 feet wide to 80 feet wide. We have the space. We're just not using it correctly. So I know I wouldn't be necessarily in favor of that because, um, like, the Cherry Creek Path is great. It's really nice. However, it's more of a recreational path. And there's a, there's a really big distinction here that gets lost a lot of times. People see cycling as a just a recreational thing or something you take the family out to do on a weekend, but it it's also can be a utility. It's how I get my groceries. So if there's a nice winding picturesque path, it may not get me to the grocery store quickly or my dentist's office or work or a friend's house. So no, I don't think just saying, okay, group of people, you only have this area because part of in order to get people to change or choose a different mode, you have to make it convenient for them. And this is what, like, the Dutch and, you know, cities like Copenhagen have done, is that you can ride your bike on most of their streets. And so if you need to go, you know, pick up a loaf of bread and get some groceries and do another errand, you can generally do that in a fairly straight line. But if you say, all right, we're only going to make these bike highways and you have to be there, then it's not going to serve most people to do just their day-to-day -day activities. And I think that's not going to encourage uh, people to change modes. And you're, what you're also doing is you're, like, you're still separating the groups and saying that there's areas of the city that they're not welcome. Um, and I also think that's a problem. I, I agree with you that people are like water they will follow the path of least resistance. And so whatever is the most convenient for them, uh, least cost effective, they will, they will follow those paths. Uh, so if, let's say, buses were free, then maybe more people would ride on the buses, but then everybody has to chip in more money to pay for them. Uh, some mm -hmm. people say uh, eliminate all the parking across downtown Denver or any and or any major city 
but there are people who like to come in from outside, let's say, an urban core where they could ride their bike or they're out on a Saturday night for a date and they want to drive their car in and, and park right next to a restaurant or a shop or a business, whatever, that they, they want to go into and they need that available parking. And if they don't have it, it's not convenient for them, so they're not going to shop. And, and I've heard people with the argument saying that especially for the people living outside of a downtown core, they won't come into a city anymore because either the parking has been replaced um, or removed altogether. It's too inconvenient to get to a business or a restaurant because they they can't ride their bike over to the whatever, or they they don't want to take their date on a tandem bike uh, to a restaurant. And then tax revenues to the city could suffer due to that. Those are some of the arguments that I've Mm -hmm. heard uh, with people living outside the city and then trying to come in. Well, I again, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of folks when it comes to cars and parking and driving, they like to grasp at straws. And a lot of you know, of course, it just on a casual glance, it's going to look like, oh, well, I can't go in there and I can't park and I won't go there, and then that restaurant's going to fail. But out in front of me, they just replaced one parking spot with a bike corral. It has space for six bikes and oh, I don't know, ten, ten scooters. So in the space of one vehicle, where you generally would have had one or two people, you now have the space for like 12. And it, so this comes back to that issue of geometry. Yeah, we're, we, we may lose some suburbanites that can't park their F-150 in front of the Capitol Grill. <laughs> I'm, this is going to sound really harsh, but I'm totally okay with that. You know, because there is there's a way that they could do it. There's a parking garage right there. The thing that they don't tell you is that they want to use the cheap, subsidized public parking. They want to pay a dollar an hour instead of, you know, the five and the lot. But if you take those parking spots and you make room for human beings, people, it really makes a difference. Take a look at what they've done with Larimer Square right now. That you know, there's all these stories about downtown shriveling into a little tiny husk and dying. Well, they've closed down the street. They've put public seating. They've put trees and greenery, and people are flocking to that area. There's no parking on that street. However, there's still a parking garage right behind it that anyone who's coming from afar and doesn't want to get sweaty, they can still do it. So there's an option. It's just not one that they like. And we've also seen that as you allow more modes of travel, um, I was just looking at an article uh, where they did a study in London and they showed that cyclists spend 40% more than drivers do just over the course of a month because they're riding around and they go, oh, that looks interesting. They stop, they pick up an item, maybe they come back. Um, so, yeah, you may lose a few customers here and there, but I think what you're going to see is that as you pay, make a place more inviting for human beings, you're actually going to see an uptick in commerce as well. So what I'm hearing is that you are option open to options. It's not just a us versus them, a car versus bike, a pedestrian versus scooter. It's it's we can mix and and mingle all together as long as we're doing it safely. Right, and we totally we should, right? We shouldn't allow one one group or one mode of travel to be the only option within a city. Um, you know, even the places, sort of the holy grail of bike infrastructure that I mentioned, the Copenhagens and the Amsterdam, still have cars driving through them. Um, you know, I mean, so they're going to be there. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a driver myself. But as the street is made more safe for a, if you make it safe for the, the most vulnerable user, it's going to be safe for everyone else above there too, right? If it's safe for walkers, it's going to be safe for cyclists. It's actually, believe it or not, going to be safer for drivers because like we were talking about earlier, those folks that were doing 40 before probably won't be able to do it anymore. Um, And really, part of that, the complete streets guideline that was put out is really about this. That, 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 That word complete is the whole point, is that you make it safer for all modes and not just make it like the primary um, area for one of them being vehicles. You mentioned that, uh, guidelines that the city has. I was, um, reading back, uh, from some articles a while back 
And I've said here on this show that this that the goal of of many metropolitan areas, including the city of Denver, is to see everybody walking, biking, or taking transit, and really to get rid of cars. And to prove my point, in June of 2014, Denver Councilwoman Mary Beth Sussman, who was the council president at the time, she wrote an op-ed in the Denver Post, and she said this, and I quote, The city's planning vision and policies strive to discourage driving and incent transit, biking, walking. The stick... We have reduced parking require, requirements and stopped widening roads in most areas, hoping that if we make driving more inconvenient, people will switch to transit. The carrot, we are adding bike lanes, requiring sidewalks with development, restriping roads, and of course, building light rail, unquote. Now, Councilman Albus Brooks, as well as other members of the city council in Denver, have shared that same sentiment. Do you agree with those sentiments from Ms. Sussman? Uh, that that was their goal, or that was what they actually did? No, that that is their goal. That their goal is to make driving more inconvenient, as she said, and to discourage driver and incentivize transit, walking, and biking. I don't think there's a uh, a, back, a smoky back room with people saying, "Hey, let's let's make this really hard to get in a car." Um, because we are, as a nation, as a state, as a city, still completely infatuated with the car. Um, I, that's, sadly, like, that's not the message that's going to convince people behind the windshield. They're going to, that looks like they're just attacking them. Um, but you do need to reduce car travel in the city. Uh, in order to allow an equitable distribution of the right-of-ways. Um, and I think making it harder or inconvenient, that's just sort of a, I don't know, it, it's sort of a trigger word. I think, like we said earlier, the street design is going to make a road safer by slowing traffic. Some people are going to say, ah, if I can't do 40, it's going to make my day harder. Well, that's, it's not, uh, you know, actually 20 mile travel through a downtown is, is, it's really not, it's not inconvenient, um, especially if traffic, as you lessen the speed, if traffic is able to just flow more freely. Um, right, but this is what the city, this is what city leaders are, That that's the backbone of what their transportation policy comes from. They're feeling that. They should make it more mm-hmm. inconvenient, and they should make uh, biking and walking and transit a priority over any yeah. kind of driving. So it, it, I think in their world, their perfect world, they would see very few, if any, people driving around and more people yeah. just taking trains and taking buses and getting around that way. Well, <laughs> I mean, this saved. is one of those where I, uh, let's see. You need to make it easier to ride and walk around the city because right now um, driving is king and a lot of people perceive it as the easiest way to do it. But they do that. Many people, I've, I've encountered people that say, you know, I'd love to ride my bike there, but I can't because it's too, I'm too afraid, it's too dangerous. So we really have let vehicles sort of take over. Um, I don't know. I think... The messaging needs to be, we need to make it safer for all. Mary Beth Sussman and Alice Brooks are no longer council persons, so I'm, you know, I'm not going to say what they said is, is city policy, but I think the message that you need to allow all modes safer travel is absolutely correct. And if that is perceived from someone driving their F-150 through downtown as being more difficult for them, well, you know, that's kind of their opinion on it, but we're also possibly saving lives. And um, I think that's just a positive outcome. I'm speaking with Rob Toffness. He's the founding member of the Denver Bicycle Lobby, creator of the website called NoSquish.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at that same handle, NoSquish. I would be remiss in, in not wrapping up here. We have just a few minutes um, to talk about 
uh, people who are in the street, I've talked about uh, this with other folks, including Streets Blog and some other people, about when people are in the street, are they always in the right? For example, if somebody is, let's say, well outside of a crosswalk or walking in the median or crossing against the don't cross sign, if they are hit, uh, let's say just hit, not even injured, let's say they're hit, is it always the driver's fault in those instances? I, um, some some places in the world would say uh, yes, and and some countries actually make it the 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 user of the street who has um, the more like a person in a vehicle hits a cyclist, um, they're immediately responsible until proven otherwise. Of course, there's going to be some freak cases, but. I think you also, rather than going to this little incident and saying, well, who's to blame, take a step back and go, why are we in this situation? Because again, if you look at those old pictures of Denver, those you could cross the street anywhere. There were no crosswalks. You didn't need them. It was safe for anyone to walk across at any point. And then we allowed vehicles to come in and sort of like locusts take over a city. And then you can actually... I encourage you to go and, and do a Google search for the invention of the word jaywalking. This is not a term that came about naturally. This was one that was invented by the automotive industry because at the time when cars were first being introduced to cities, people were getting hit and injured, and the people in the cities were getting angry, and they were starting to push back on the car industry. So the car industry went, well, okay, how can we flip this around so it's not our problem, but the vulnerable user in front of our vehicle? So... I don't really care about the blame portion right now. What I, what I think is that we've made this little network where a person who's, say, take federal, for example. If you're walking along federal, you have to go like a mile out of your way to hit the crosswalk. Just to be considered legal and just to have a chance of getting across this stupid thing safely. So, I, you know, I think as a driver... Regardless of what the law says, you need to be on the outlet. You need to put down your phone. You, you need to possibly drive more carefully than maybe even the posted speed limit says because there might be a vulnerable human being in front of your car. There might be a family pushing a stroller or there might be a cyclist. And whether you are in the right or not, you could possibly end someone's life. And I think that should be the consideration, not who is right or wrong but that we have really crap street design and we have a legacy of subsidizing driving and making it easier to drive and, and be in the right as a driver. And we've made it more difficult just to walk across the street. And I think even drivers should be angry about that because at some point you're going to park your car and you're going to get out and you're going to be a pedestrian. I do think that so, uh, driving behavior and inattentive, inattentiveness and distracted driving is the blight of our society right now where it is it is really the major problem as as, and and i'm sure as you said you drive around town just stop at any intersection and then you can look over to Mm -hmm. the person to your left or right or wherever and and you see them immediately grab their phone and it is a complete distraction but part of the reason for that is that we have (laughs) we have allowed drivers to become so entitled that they they think that that behavior is normal. It's okay. I, I was watching a TV show the other day. The character drove up to a parking spot, and as they parked, they were looking at their phone. Uh, look at car ads. We see, um, you know, we see a, like a Jeep Cherokee parked on the rim of the Grand Canyon. That's not somewhere you take a car, but we're showing people all these images of, you know, you can do what you like in these things. Um, I was watching another car commercial. The car was parked in the driveway, but it was blocking the sidewalk. It's just rampant, and we've allowed this sort of driver entitlement. So people get kind of angry when they hear city council people say, hey, we need to make it a little more difficult on you. But the reality is we've made it so easy to drive around and look at a cell phone and get away with blowing through red lights and actually hitting vulnerable users and and walking scot-free that... We've really created this perfect storm 
for anyone that's not in a vehicle of just dangerous environments and dangerous behavior. And then the people operating these vehicles are feel entitled to acting that way. Finally, how would you like to see roads in big cities look in five years, in 20 years, in 50 years? What would you like them to look like in those time frames? If you were a little drone and you're flying over Denver, you need to be able to look down and see that the right-of-way is narrow and that our sidewalks are much wider. They have things like trees. You need to see that the crossing distance at the intersection is shorter because of things like bump-outs. We need to realize that putting uh, highways through downtown and even arterial roads was a bad, bad decision. Um, I'd like to see them as you know, more neighborhood streets everywhere, and that's going to mean sharing with transit, and you're going to see bike lanes, and you're probably going to see, like, you know, street vendors and what used to be parking spots. Um, I'd also like to see, um, excuse me, uh, just the intersections are going to change themselves, too. They, they won't be as just in, enormous, I think, the scale of our streets needs to come down to allow us to make use of that space for everything else, other modes of travel, commerce, uh, public seating, events, all of that. If someone wants to get a hold of you, how can they go about and do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at NoSquish. I'll be there talking about bike lanes and vehicle speeds and all of this. Well, perfect, Rob. I really enjoyed our conversation. You have some interesting insights, some really good points, and I appreciate your time. All right. Thanks so much. Again, Rob's Twitter handle is NoSquish, and his website is the same thing, NoSquish.com. Uh, you can also search Denver Bicycle Lobby and get his Facebook group there. I've included the links in the description of this show so you can get them uh, there as well. I, I eventually do see a time where there will be very few drivers in an urban core of a downtown area, whether it's Tampa or here in Denver or uh, just about anywhere, where there's an urban core with the tall buildings and you have, you know, a 10, 20, whatever block area that you won't really see any cars except maybe Rideshare cars that have special permits, delivery vehicles at certain hours that would be allowed in. Um, I think that that's what we're going to see over time. Cities are changing all the time, and and, and, and people adjust to those changes. I, I used to hang out in downtown Denver all the time, but I just don't anymore. I, I used to live downtown for 15 years before moving out to the south side of Denver in the area called the Denver Technological Center, which is another... A mini downtown, if you will, south of downtown Denver. And I was there for a few years before I got married and moved farther south of town. And I liked downtown when I used to live there a long time ago, back in the, what, early mid-90s. It, it, was, it was fine. It, it, I liked it. It, was, it wasn't as busy or crowded as it is now. So maybe this is the time for some of these areas because we've seen so much growth, not only here, but also in other cities around the country. So maybe this is the time for roads to be turned over to people and not for traffic and kept out of the core. Um, I, obviously, it's going to be inconvenient to some, and it's going to be uh, a boon to others. And, and you're going to always have some people that are going to say, no, don't take my roads. And you're going to say, some people say, I want to take back the roads. It's just going to be that way. It's going to be whoever is in uh, the city government for whatever town you're in, and those people are going to be the ones who will win uh, the argument and, and make it the way they want to make it. I, um, I think this is, is going to lead us to hopefully not, but, but it seems like it's going to be an us versus them mentality. I'm, I'm not talking us like me. Us, the, it's the people who want to drive and the people who don't mentality. The people inside the core and those outside. And some of those people won't come in because of no parking or inconvenience as they perceive it to come into the downtown core. It's, it's really changed a lot now because of COVID, where fewer downtown areas are crowded with people going into a downtown because people are working remotely. 
a lot of businesses are having a hard time filling their office space in these uh, downtown areas. So there could be a change with those buildings in the near future as more people are working remotely. I, um, I could also see people adapting. The people are good at adapting. I, I talked about it with Rob that, that people are like water. They will, will take the path of least resistance. And they're, they're actually really good at adapting to what is, is facing them. Um, I, I could see people creating a parking area just outside of a core where they can't drive and then coming in that way, either having to walk or be shuttled or maybe pick up a, a transit of, of some sort at that, uh, uh, in, in that way. Because I, I, we can never really eliminate cars, ever, and nor should we. It is right now the single most convenient way to get from one point to another point if you're living outside of a urban core area. It it just is. And everybody wants to get around efficiently, easily, with the least amount of expense. And right now, a car, a vehicle of some sort, is the way to do it. I mean, even think about it. Even in the time of the Jetsons, we had cars, flying ones, but they still had cars to get around. Even in the Jetsons, even in the fictional shows like The Expanse or Star Wars or any of those, even the space shows, they have vehicles that individual people are driving and take And even on other planets, they have individual vehicles that people are driving. So... There's nothing wrong with that. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Can, can't we all just mingle along and get around like we need to get around? Will it always be this way? Only God really knows. But for right here and right now, the majority of us need personal transportation devices. And Can we function without them? Yes. It depends on where you live and what services are around you and your physical being. If you can walk that far or, or, or whatever, I mean, you can have stuff delivered. You can walk to the nearest store if you live close enough to a store. Uh, and uh, so you can survive. Sure. No problem. But I like to have my car. Rob talked about him himself. He has a car, but he also advocates for bikes and closing down roads. And so, you know, it's it's why can't we all just share the roads, right? Um. Only time will tell, I suppose. All right, so if you can, uh, if you want to find my contact information, it's also on the description of the show at driving you cur- the uh, driving you crazy podcast at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at Denver7Traffic. Thanks again to Rob Toftness for being here on the show, and thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.